Test, test, one, two, three. Is that better? All right. All right, well, again, welcome. I'm glad to see you here. I was, going to, I was about to say that when I was trying to organize a praise team, I learned that everybody is on vacation this week. So you guys are here. Glad to have you here. And we have our great friend Marcy Karanjahi on the praise team. My feeling is that when you have Marcy, you have enough. So welcome her. <laughs> So we're here to worship the Lord. We are going to be worshiping. We're going to have fun up here. You guys, if you can, stand, and I'm sure that you will want to join us in worshiping the Lord. Let's stand together and do that.
You may be seated. Good morning. It's a joy to gather with you this morning. If you are new or visiting, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. And we are we're glad that you're here with us. Like we just sang that there'll be a day when a thousand generations will join together in heaven and sing. And like, there aren't quite a thousand generations here now, right? but there, there's a few. And like, it's just a joy to hear different voices, different ages, different life stages, different stories all gather together as we sing and we worship and we praise God. So whether you're here for the thousandth time or the first time, it's a joy to gather here with you as God's people in this place. We're just excited to gather this morning. So as a church, as Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, we, we talk a lot about being wanting to be about three things. Right? Reaching people with the gospel, growing to be like Christ, and serving others. There are a few opportunities to do each of those things in your, in your bulletin. One big one I want to highlight, coming up in two weeks, following the service, we're going to have a meeting in here just talking about small groups and what the future of small groups will look like for our, at the church and how we can use those to help us to grow to be more like Christ. So I'd encourage you, if you're planning to be around, especially in this fall, to come and be a part of that meeting. Talk about reaching people with the gospel. One of the ways that we do that is through supporting missionaries. And so this morning we have Brooke Vanderplog with us. And so she's going to come and she's going to share a little bit about what they're doing with their ministry. So I'd invite Brooke to come and share with us now. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Um, good morning. Um, I'm Brooke Vanderplug. You were close. Uh, it's, it's a Dutch name. Um, this is my family. I've actually grown up in Three Lakes, so a lot of you probably know me. Some of you are new and it may not because I live in Florida now. Uh, but this is my husband and my son. Um, I am actually on staff with the Jesus Film Project. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with it. I'm getting a few nods. Um, the Jesus Film is basically a film that is based on the book of Luke. And as the project, we've been working to translate the film into different languages. So hopefully everyone everywhere could have a chance to know Jesus. Um, so our goal is to really reach the unreached people groups of the world. Uh, yeah, you can see our purpose. Um, yeah, we're actually just reached our 2,000th language, which is insane. Um, yeah, huge feat. Um, yeah, you can clap for that. <laughs> People getting to know the Lord. Uh, so my specific role, you can go to the next slide. Uh, I work on the training strategies team. So I work to really equip believers around the world to use the Jesus film. Um, sometimes a language will get like they'll translate the language into the film but it just won't be used or there's no way to get it to the village or get it to the people who actually speak that language so I work to help mobilize and equip believers to use the Jesus film and other resources um, and you can see our purpose and our mission up there which is really just mobilizing and equipping um, so our hope is that 
Every believer in the world would actively be evangelizing and mobilizing disciples to close the missional gap. Um, so basically to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, so yeah, that's my role. And then um, I have a little activity for us this morning. So you guys are going to be able to like see this in real life. Um, one way that we equip believers is by providing equipment. Um, and one of those equipments, equipment, <laughs> one of the equipment that we uh, provide is called a new life box. Um, you can go to the next slide. Yeah. So a new life box, this is it right in my hand. I could like carry 60 of these in a suitcase, maybe, probably more. Um, it allows people to stream or download Jesus Film content as well as as well as other custom materials like human trafficking resources or border crossing instructions, even if they don't have data or internet access. So a lot of places around the world will have smartphones, um, they'll have tablets, they'll have computers, but they won't have data or internet access. So this allows you to reach this Wi-Fi and watch certain things. Um, so yeah, why the new life box? Uh, in 2016, only about half the world owned smartphones, and now it's about 83% of the world own smartphone. And 92% own a phone in general. So it may not be able to access the internet, but it is a phone, which we can also use with the new life box. Um, so this is now my activity. We're going to pretend that we um, are Ukrainians, and we have been kicked out of our country because of the war with Russia, um, consider yourself a single mother with three kids. Um, you don't have any kind of entertainment. You brought two toys along because that was all you could carry with all the other necessities that you had. Um, you're on a bus. It's dusty. There's people around you. Just your only, only consideration is, are my children going to make it safe and will I see my husband again? Um, so, sorry. <laughs> Uh, that just is like sad. Um, so anyways, I'm going to have you guys check on your phone. There's a charging station on the bus and you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to charge my phone. Maybe I can get something while I'm on this bus. Um, so I'm going to pick like, I can't have everyone access it. So I'm going to pick like two people from each section to try to access the Wi-Fi box. Um, so can I have a volunteer over here? Oh yeah, okay, Jub Dub and this guy, girl, sorry, <laughs> I can't see. And then anyone over here? We got Lisa, okay, we'll do just Lisa there. And then over here? Okay, we got in the back, hopefully it reaches that far. And then, you, you ready? All right, yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> um, so you're going to go to your settings on your phone, and you're going to go to Wi-Fi. And there should be a Wi-Fi that says, you can go to the next slide. Oh, that's actually the wrong one. I didn't update this, sorry. <laughs> it should say TLEV free rocks, exclamation point. Three likes EV free rocks, there you go. <laughs> um, so let me know when you get connected. Did you find it? We got a thumbs up over here, thumbs up over here, thumbs up, thumbs up, and thumbs up, sweet. So once you connect to that, it should go to this page where you can um, pick a language. So this is why it's so helpful. The New Life Box has like thousands of languages that can be accessed on it. You click English, and then it will take you to a URL address. 
And then that address will take you to this home screen where you can access free Jesus film movies. So basically people on the bus will be bored. I mean, she's tired. She's just looking for something to entertain her kids. She can give the phone to her child and the child can learn about Jesus in their own heart language. Through a Magdalena film, through the story of Jesus for children, um, there's short films on there that just make you think. There may not be like explicitly gospel content, but there is gospel content on there. Like the whole life of Jesus could be learned from a child just sitting on the refugee bus. Um, so next, we're going to actually watch a film. Uh, you can, I think it's on the next one. Yes. Okay, so this is a film. It's called Delight. This is a conversation starter. So also something that we do to equip believers is we provide them with just little clips of film that they could show a friend or people like insecure countries where you can't outright share the gospel, but that can really get you thinking about your own need for the gospel or just a a beautiful story that you could share related to the film. So we'll watch this film. I don't think we have the actual film. Oh, no. Okay, well... uh, it's a really cute film. You'll have to look it up. <laughs> it's called Delight, and you can look it up on YouTube. You can really find it anywhere. If you put in Delight, Jesus Film Project, you'll find it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what you would do, and you would show your child, and um, they might be able to hear the, the story of Jesus for the very first time. And as you're watching, I mean, can you imagine just, like, the hopelessness you would feel in that situation? Um, and to be able to lean on someone who is strong, and faithful, and will never let you down. Um, so, yeah, you can go to the next slide. Let's meet. Oh, I also want to share one story. Um, so recently, it was the National Crew Conference in uh, Milwaukee last week. Actually, Wisconsin. Like, what? That was crazy. Uh, but it was in Wisconsin, and we had all of the U.S. national staff part of Crew. So Jesus Film is like a subsector of Crew. So we partner with them. Um, and there was the Ukrainian team leader there um, that had shared um, about how he has like 100 staff on his team, and about four of those staff members are on the front lines fighting. Um, he knows several families that have been separated, um, and he was just sharing like the grief and the loss that he's experienced um, going back and forth and providing food for people. Um, and he just wanted us to know that like, the war is still going on despite what you hear. And uh, he wanted to encourage us um, and share that all of these staff members, though they are in the midst of pain and suffering and loss in so many ways, um, they have held on to the hope of Jesus. And that has been a huge testimony to people around them. And these new life Wi-Fi boxes has helped in so many ways, not only entertainment, but also to prevent human trafficking across the borders. There was a story of two little boys that one of our staff members encountered at the border. And she was just watching them. There was no parent around, so she just approached them and asked them, like, where's your mom? Um, And they said that she had gone to the doctor yesterday, um, and they just put together that the doctor was actually a human trafficker that was posing as a doctor and had trafficked their mom. Um, So there's just a lot going on. But with these Wi-Fi boxes, we can put on there, on the bus, um, 
resources to help warn them about certain people that are posing as doctors or whatever and give them the accurate information to prevent these human trafficking instances. Um, so yeah, I just want to encourage you that like we can we can find our hope in Jesus here in our country and our lives and also in the midst of even like in our pain and suffering and in the the most uh, deep pain and suffering that you could experience as a human. So, um, yeah, I put on here, let's meet. I would really love to meet with you. I, um, my family and I are in need of support currently just from individual people. And, um, I'd also just love to meet with you and share more stories about Jesus film. If you're not in a place to give financially, I want to pray over your family. Um, cause I have been prayed over like for four years being in the ministry by all of you. And, um, and by this church, and I really appreciate it. So I would love to pray over your family and meet with you and just hear where you're at. Um, so, yeah, I think that was all I had. Let me see. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Speaking of prayer, we want to pray for Brooke and Noah and their family and along with missionaries that we support and throughout the world. This Martha, will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing through the Jesus film, through Brooke and Nolan, through um, just people who have a conviction that they are needed to go and share the gospel with those in need and those who have not heard it. Thank you for the way you've worked in life to compel people to go and share the gospel. Pray that you would give them fruitful ministry, that people would hear the gospel through them, that people would respond to the good news of Jesus because of the work of missionaries, because of the Jesus film, because of the work that is being done. Pray that you would be at work to draw people to yourself. People would see your glory, see their need of a Savior. They would see Jesus as a great and mighty Savior. They would trust and turn to Him in repentance. Father, we thank you for the work you've done. We pray that you would continue to work through our missionaries and through each one of us gathered here that we would all feel compelled to go and to share the gospel, whether it's to our neighbors and our friends nearby, or it is across the world. You show us how to do that and do it well, and for your glory. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue in our worship this morning. I invite you to stand again. Um, You know, uh, when Sabeth and I got married, we each picked a Bible verse to engrave in each other's wedding bands. And my wedding band has inside of it Psalm 34.4, which says, Come magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. So that's been sort of a theme for our marriage. And I invite you to join us. Let's exalt the Lord together. So let's continue as we worship.
every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of the Lord. How I love your voice. The voice of the good shepherd who leads us. The voice of the good shepherd who comforts us. The voice of the good shepherd who calls us out of the dark places and calls us back to safety. I love your voice. We love your voice. Today, Lord, we meditate on your goodness. Your goodness that is expressed in so many ways to us. Even in the darkest of times, like those being experienced by our brothers and sisters in Ukraine or other places in the world where they may not worship you freely because there is either famine or war, there's fire, there are floods, there's disease, there are, there's oppression, there's injustice, there is no love. Father, even in those places, you are there. For King David did say, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your love? Even if I, I fly on the wings of the dawn to the farthest reaches, even there your hand will hold me fast. If I try to hide in the darkness, the darkness is as light to you. Father, there's no place on this earth where your children are not always visible to you. And so we want to thank you as your children, together as a body, the family of God, for your goodness that is expressed in your care of us. And Lord, we thank you for the ministries of all those who stand here today in big and small ways, those who love with smiles and gentle touches, those who love financially, those who love in prayer, those who love by going, those who love by staying, those who love through numbers, those who love through visual arts, those who love in so many ways, Lord. We thank you for this family. And we ask that, Lord, the, the aroma of Christ would spread all over the world because you have been good to us. You are good. That is your nature. So, Lord, as we hear your word, help us to hear your voice. Yes, it is Pastor Tim speaking. But, Lord, you've been speaking with him about the word that we are to hear today. So, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying to this church, to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a child aged four through seven, you can head down to children's church. You're dismissed at this time. If you've You've been around here for any length of time. You've heard me preach more than a few times. One thing you probably know about me is that I'm a bit of a nerd. 
I have some, have some nerdy interests. One of those is I really enjoy reading biographies of historical figures. Right? And so I just like, I find it amazing and astounding how much attitudes and practices have changed over time. Not even always in that long of time. Like I've been on this kick lately of reading books about explorer from the 1700s or 1800s. And so I, I just finished this book by, about like, Captain James Cook, right, the, the British naval captain who you know, like, he was famous for being the first European to circumnavigate New Zealand. And he was the first European to set foot on Hawaii and the first European to set foot on eastern Australia. So he, went on, he went on three separate voyages during his career, three main voyages, and they each lasted three years. In each of those voyages, he left behind a wife and a young family. And at one point, when the author is discussing these voyages, the, uh, the author casually mentions that like, with each voyage, they would overstaff the ship by like 50%, because they just knew that many sailors would die on the voyage. Right? Like, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go down on a limb and say like, OSHA would not be a fan of those kind of practices. But it was just like accepted back then. And yet, like, it's just the way it was. Like another, another person whose life wouldn't happen today, and like one of, I think, for my money, the most fascinating historical figures of all time is the life of Benjamin Franklin. And the reason his career, his life wouldn't happen today was that he did so many things. Like, like we live in this area where or great careers are defined by you being really good at one thing, right? It's all about specialization and you being really, really good at one thing. But Franklin had his hand in seemingly everything. You probably know some of the highlights. You know, perhaps, that he was a new paper publisher and he was the author of Poor Richard's Almanac. You probably know of his scientific research with lightning and kites and all that. Like... He was also the founder of the University of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia's first volunteer fire department. He invented bifocals. He created this very much improved version of what's called the glass harmonica that was used by both Beethoven and Mozart. But perhaps my favorite little factoid that illustrates how diverse Franklin's interests were is this. Franklin is both a member of the International Swimming Hall of Fame and the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame. Like, that's just it's a wild career. And on top of all that, I didn't even mention like, the thing that he's most well known for, which is being one of the founding fathers. Like, he's the only man who signed what are considered kind of the four foundational documents for our country. He signed the Declaration of Independence. He signed the U.S. Constitution. He also signed the Treaty of Amity and Commerce, which was the treaty that brought France into the war on the United States side, into the Revolutionary War. And he signed the Treaty of Paris, which is the treaty between the U.S. and England and France that ended the Revolutionary War and established the United States as an independent nation. And he signed those last two documents, those two treaties, that his role as a diplomat to France. And in fact, he was America's first diplomat. In 1779, France became the first nation to recognize the United States and welcome a diplomat from America. 
So Franklin went to France and he served as an ambassador to France. And in his role as ambassador, he persuaded the French to join America on the, in the Revolutionary War. And so that joining of the war probably turned the tide of that war, probably turned the outcome of the war. And so because of that, not only was Franklin like the first ambassador, but he is still today, to this day, probably our most important ambassador ever. Without him, the United States may have never gotten off the ground. So he was our first ambassador, and his official title, when he was ambassador to France, was the official title was the United States Minister to France. And I find that, that overlap of the terms ambassador and minister interesting. In fact, to this day, in many countries, in their diplomatic service, like the highest rank is ambassador, and the second highest rank is minister. And because like, at their root, the word minister and the word ambassador have the same basic connotation. They both refer to someone who is sent out to represent a greater entity. So Franklin was sent to France to represent the United States to the French government. Ambassadors today are sent to nations all around the world to represent the interests of their countries before foreign governments. They speak at the voice of their home country in a foreign land. And in today's passage, Paul is going to call us both ambassadors and ministers. He's going to tell us that we are God's chosen voice to carry God's message to the world. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I have a Bible and invite you to turn there, otherwise the verses will be on the screen as well. In this passage, Paul again is telling us, calling us, telling us we have a ministry of a reconciliation. This is what Paul writes. So from now on, we regard, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to kind of boil this passage down into one sentence, one little summary. I would put it this way. Those who have been reconciled to God through Christ are now given a ministry of reconciliation of their own. Paul says we've been given a, a ministry of reconciliation. He says we are Christ's ambassadors. He said that we are sent out with a message. He said that he was given a mission to go represent God before the world. That's what Paul says was true of him. And in 
kind of church lingo, right? We talk about these ideas in a number of different ways, right? We talk about evangelism, and we talk about missions, and we talk about sharing the good news of Jesus. But whatever the, whatever the terminology is, right, it applies to Paul. Right? He is he's a missionary, he's an evangelist, he's Christ's ambassador. But he doesn't just include himself in that description. Right? He says, we... He says, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. Which leads to the important question. Like, who is all included in that we? Like, who are the ministers of reconciliation? Who are supposed to be Christ's ambassadors? Like, who are the ones who are called to urge people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God? Like what, are the, what are the job qualifications? Like who is qualified to be Christ's ambassadors? And more importantly for us this morning, does that include me and does that include you? If you're, if you're looking for a job and you like go and you search and you look at job postings, you'll often find a section of job postings that says something like required skills or required experience. And sometimes those requirements are just incredibly high. I came across a a tweet on Twitter the other day from a guy named Sebastian Ramirez. He does computer programming stuff that I don't really understand, but one of the things he does is he created something called Fast API. He's the creator of Fast API. And he tweeted this. I, I saw a job post the other day. It required four-plus years of experience in Fast API. I couldn't apply. It had only been one-and-a-half years of experience since I created the thing. <laughs> right? I like, only have four years of experience with that thing. He created it a year-and-a-half year ago. Right? Like it's, it's unattainable standard of qualification. Right? And a lot of times, I think we have that kind of view when it comes to the task of evangelism. Right? The task of missions. Like, surely there's someone more qualified. Like, I can't attain the standard that's laid out. Like, there's someone who has more experience. Right? So I'm off the hook. I don't have to be the one that shares the gospel because someone else is better equipped for it. Right? But that's not how Paul understood it. Right? It's obvious in this passage that Paul sees himself as qualified. Right? He says, God gave us a minister of reconciliation. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. But again, the question is, who is the us? Who is the we? If Paul, just talking about him and the other apostles, is he just talking about a select group of believers who have special qualifications to be ambassadors? Are there unique skill set that some people have that equips them to do this? Who's qualified? And if we look at this passage, like, what we see is that Paul sees himself as qualified, and not first and foremost because he's an apostle. He doesn't see himself as qualified first and foremost because he has some kind of special training or because he's especially gifted. But rather, Paul sees himself as a minister of reconciliation simply because he himself was reconciled. If we go back one verse before we start reading this one, to look at verse 15, Paul says this. 
and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, and for, for, and for him, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And the implication is, like the us and the we that Paul's talking about in, in verses sixteen through twenty-one, is that the us and the we is anyone who believed in Christ, anyone who believes that Christ died and was raised again. And because we believe that He died for us, we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer do whatever we want. Now we live for Christ, doing the tasks that He has given us to do. Likewise, in verses 17 and 18, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, when he says in verse 18 that God gave us a ministry of reconciliation, the us is everyone who has been made new in Christ. The us is everyone who God has already reconciled to himself through Christ. Everyone who is in Christ has received the ministry of reconciliation. And so when he says in verse 20 that we are Christ's ambassadors, so we include everyone who has had their sins forgiven by Christ. The role of ambassador is not limited to a select few Christians. It's not a role just for the elite of the elite. If you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are Christ's ambassador. You have a ministry of reconciliation. You have a call on your life to share the good news of Jesus with others. Everyone here who considers themselves a Christian should also consider themselves a minister of reconciliation. And as a minister of reconciliation, then you have the task of advancing the message of reconciliation. And we should not, should not minimize that task. This is a, a monumental task. To advance the message of reconciliation is a monumental task. And Paul puts it in monumental terms in the first part of verse 20 when he writes, We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God were making his appeal through us. Like, we should feel the weight of that. Just as an ambassador speaks to foreign rulers on behalf of the government they represent. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We speak to the world as God's chosen instrument for communicating His message. God makes this appeal to the world through us. God could have used wide variety of means to communicate his message. He could have written John 3.16 in the stars. He could have given everyone visions and dreams. He could have spoken audibly from heaven to each and every person on earth. But he didn't do any of those things. He chose us to be the ones through whom he would make his appeal. He chose us to be his mouthpieces, his ambassadors. 
He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And you may say, like, that makes no sense. I'm not good enough to be God's mouthpiece. I'm, I'm too weak. I'll mess it up. But that's kind of the point. At the very beginning of his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, to let no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who have become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And the Puritan Thomas Goodwin was talking about this, this verse, and he was, or this passage, and he was trying to answer the question, like, why has God chosen preaching as the means of spreading the gospel? And he wrote this. He, that is God, hath chosen preaching of the word because it is the weakest means of all others. And therefore, his power would, have, would the more appear unto his own glory in it. God chose you to be the way he makes his appeal to the world precisely because you're weak. And so that when it works, despite your weakness, he gets all the glory. That you are God's chosen mouthpiece, even if you don't feel equipped for it. God knows your weakness and he still chooses to work through you. And sometimes we can view evangelism as a burden an obligation. Like, I certainly feel that way often. Like, I feel guilt over all the times that I failed to talk to someone about Jesus when I could have. Like, like I know it's something I, I'm supposed to do, but I often fail to do it. Like, like evangelism and sharing the gospel can kind of feel like the eating your veggies of the Christian faith. Like, like Everyone knows you're supposed to do it. No one really wants to. Like, that's how we kind of feel about evangelism. But this week, as I reflected, especially on verse 20, and this idea that God has chosen to, to make His appeal through us, like, it has helped me to kind of reframe my thinking. So I'm trying to see evangelism less as a burden and more as a privilege. Like, it's a privilege that God would choose to make His appeal through me, weak as I am. The privilege that God would invite me to be a part of what He is doing to bring glory to Himself. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. He invites us and He encourages us, encourages us and He welcomes us in all our weakness, in all our imperfections, to be a part of what He is doing to spread His glory throughout 
the earth. The, the privilege, not a burden. The privilege that He has made us Christ's ambassadors. He has made us a minister of, of reconciliation. But of course, the, a minister or an ambassador is only, as use, is only useful if they rep, accurately, accurately represent and communicate the message they were sent out to communicate. So if we're going to be ministers of reconciliation, then we must make sure that we're clear on what the message of reconciliation is. We must make sure that the message we are communicating as Christ's ambassadors is the message that Christ wants us to communicate. There's no shortage of people who claim to be speaking on Christ's behalf, but who communicate a message that doesn't fit with what we read in the Bible. But thankfully, Paul makes clear what the message of reconciliation is in the second half of verse 20. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. At a, at a most basic level, like that's our message. Be reconciled to God. And that word translated reconciled here means literally to have your status changed. And that's what we're to urge people to do. To have their status changed before God. But of course, like that message then implies that there is, there is some need to have your status changed. And that's the hard part of evangelism, right? We have to communicate that there's a need to have your status changed. It's hard, it's intimidating to tell people that they need to be changed because no one wants to believe it. No one wants to hear it. In a recent survey, 81% of people, they believe that humankind is inherently good. Three in four people believe that they themselves are fundamentally a good person. And here's the craziest step. When researchers asked respondents how they would compare themselves to others in their lives, 46% of people said they are better than everyone they know. 46% of people said they are the best of all people they know. Like, like, we live in a world and in a culture that is not prone to believing that they need to change. There are not many people believe that they need to be reconciled. Not many people are believed, are inclined to believe that it's true what Paul says, that they were an enemy of God because of their sin. But that's the heart of the Christian message. That ever since Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, every person who has walked on earth has also sinned. And that, that sin has alienated us, separated us from God. That sin has made us God's enemy. In a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll jump back into the book of Luke that we've been working our way through. And we'll soon come to Luke 18, 18. And in that verse, Luke is, or Jesus is asked... Says, a man says to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus replies, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. 
no one is good except God alone. And in saying that, Jesus is not denying that he is good. But he's probing to see if the man truly understands that Jesus is God incarnate. But in doing that, Jesus quotes Psalm 14, which says, The Lord looked down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And that's, that's not a popular message in our world today. And yet, like understanding our, our sinfulness and our brokenness and our need for reconciliation right, is one of the greatest needs anyone can have. Right? Because without seeing the peril, no one will look for the salvation. Right? And I would argue that actually understanding that there's no one righteous, there's no one good, and yet God still provides a way for us to be reconciled, should be freeing. Because despite what that survey says, like, you know your junk. You know your sin. Like, you know the dark thoughts you have. You know the times you've messed up. Like, should be freeing that God did not write us off despite that sin. Should be freeing to us that God still comes and provides a way for us to be reconciled, even though we are sinful. And thankfully, it's not all on us to convince people that they are sinful. In John 16, 7 and 8, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's ultimately the Holy Spirit's job to to do the work in people's heart to convict them of their sin. It's not our job to convince people that they actually are sinful. The Holy Spirit will do that work. Our job is to faithfully share the message and urge people to be reconciled to God. And the good news is, right, like, once people grasp their need for reconciliation, once people admit their sin, that they see their need, then there is indeed a way to be reconciled. God didn't leave us in our state. But in verse 19, Paul says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. There's a way out of this mess we've made for ourselves. God in Christ made a way for people to have their sins not countered against them. God in Christ was reconciling himself to the world. The question is, then, like, how? And what does Jesus have to do with it? Like, like, did God just forget about our sins, decide, I'm going to pretend that didn't happen, and then send Jesus to tell us? Like, what are, the question is, the mechanics of reconciliation. How does it all work? How is it possible to be changed, to be reconciled? How is it possible to be made a new creation? How is it possible to go from God's enemy to God's friend? God would not be a righteous or a just God if He just turned a blind eye on our sin and pretended it didn't happen. 
That wouldn't be right, it wouldn't be just. And so the question is, like, how does it work? Like, there may be some of you sitting here now who, like, have thought, like, here we go, like, I've heard this message a thousand times, and I can kind of just tune out. But, like, I'm often surprised and, like, a little concerned at how many Christians can say, like, yeah, my sins are forgiven because of Jesus, but they can't actually articulate how or why it happens, how or why it works. God, I just encourage you in the next few minutes, like, don't tune out. Like, let's look at this next verse together. And if you are here and you understand how it works, then like, you know that this is the message worth hearing over and over and over again and never gets old. Let's look at verse 21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin. Like, Jesus lived a sinless life. And, like, and agreeing to that and embracing that is essential to who Jesus is. Right? You can't have Jesus apart from a sinless man. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. When Jesus went to the cross, right, he didn't just go to be an example he didn't just go to show us what love looks like. He went to take our sin upon Himself, to be sin for us. To all the judgment we deserve for our sin was placed on Jesus on the cross. The only way God can forgive us and still be righteous is if it's paid for some other way. Jesus became sin for us. So that in Him, and that phrase, in Him, is so important, right? In Jesus, talking about being in Jesus, it's the Bible's way of talking about trusting and believing and following Jesus. It's only when you trust and follow and obey Jesus that you place your trust in Him, that any of this works, right? This isn't a universal thing, it's those who are in Jesus. In Him we might become the righteousness of God. So often I feel like we undersell what Jesus did. We talk so much about our sins being forgiven. We never talk about that we become the righteousness of God. Not only are our sins forgiven and we're given a blank day, but we receive Jesus' perfect obedience on top of it, credited to our account. Like We become the righteousness of God. God. All because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus went to the cross. He became sin for us. Right? Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Jesus took our sin and gave us His righteousness in His place. He went as our representative to the cross. It's not just like, oh, Jesus went to the cross, so God decides, okay, now I can be forgiving. Jesus wasn't just a Good example. He went to the cross. He bore, he suffered all that the cross entails to take our sin upon himself, to make our forgiveness possible and make it possible for us to become the righteousness of God. So if you're, you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, 
then like, despite what you may think about yourself, like, you have sin that has alienated you from God, separated you from God, and you need reconciliation. And again, like, I think if you really examine your heart, like, you know your failure, you know your junk. You know you're not as good as you like to pretend you are. But the good news is like Jesus willingly takes that sin for you, becomes that sin on your behalf, and He gives you the righteousness of God. He makes you a new creation. So you've here and you've never trusted Jesus. I just urge you to trust Him. Believe in Him. It's the only way for you to be reconciled to God. For us who are here who have trusted Jesus, then this message that we are reconciled, that we are a new creation, that we are the righteousness of God is, is freeing. Right? Because, again, we all know our sin. We all know the times we've messed up, and yet this message tells us that's all taken care of. It's done with. It's over. And we can live our life. Trusting we are forgiven and we are made righteous. And in that knowledge, then our task is to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. Last night, my brother and I went down to Green Bay. We went and saw a soccer game at Lambeau Field. The match was between Bayern Munich and Manchester City. So between a team from Germany and the team from the 11th largest city in the UK. And here we are in, we're in Green Bay, Wisconsin, watching this match between two teams that are from thousands of miles away, and there's 78,000 people in attendance in the middle of Wisconsin to watch like our 14th most popular sport. Like, and like all those people, like almost all of them are wearing apparel from either one team or the other. Like, they're all passionate fans in the middle of Wisconsin. Like, so how does that happen? Like, how do you get fans of a team from Munich and a team from Manchester in the middle of a cornfield in Wisconsin? Right? The answer, right, that they had fervent fans right, who who served as ambassador for that team, and slowly their reach has become more and more global. And if fans of German soccer can be passionate enough that that fandom reaches Green Bay, Wisconsin, like, how much more eager should we be to declare the glories of God and what He did for us in Jesus? Right? Last week's sermon we talked all about how, how God's greatness and God's glory compel us to tell other people about Him. And next week, we'll look at a more concrete example of how we go about sharing that greatness. But my hope this morning is that you leave here feeling what a privilege it is that you are Christ's ambassador. That God is making His appeal through you to the world. Would you feel the privilege that you have a ministry of reconciliation? I just pray and I hope that you would not 
take that lightly, but that you would go out, you would look for opportunities to share with those around you who don't know Jesus the glories of Him who reconciled you to God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for what you've done for us in Jesus. That you sent Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. That through faith and belief and trust in Him, we might become the righteousness of God despite our failure despite our sin. We never cease to be astounded and amazed by the glorious truth of that message. And as we dwell on that truth, as we reflect on the truth of what you've done for us in Jesus, would we feel deep abiding desire to tell other people about Jesus. Not to win an argument, not to prove ourselves right, but because we love them and desire them to experience the same freedom and joy that are found in Christ that we have experienced. We, we feel our role as Christ's ambassador to be a privilege and not a burden? Would we delight to talk about Jesus with others? And would you use our words and our talking to convict people of their sin and draw them to yourself? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go from here this morning, would you go with a sense of privilege that you are indeed Christ's ambassador. You are dismissed.